comprehend the number of lives given, the blood spilled, so that we could be free today. Most people see it as an extended, you know, weekend where they go off to the lake and get a day off, maybe tomorrow. But you know what? 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds gave their life. Never got to marry, never got to have kids, never got to live out their life so that we could be free to come today and worship God and pursue our dreams and live in a free society. It didn't come cheap. So I think it would be good if we could just recognize a few moments of silence. And I want us just to thank God for those that gave their lives and their surviving family members, loved ones who paid that price as well. Let's just thank God. Father, we thank you for those who gave their lives so that we could be free today. And we pray in Jesus' name you'll bless their loved ones who remain. And we thank you, Lord, that their their memory is not forgotten, not by us, not today. But we thank you not only for Jesus who gave his blood so we could be spiritually free and heaven-bound, but those who gave their blood so that we could be free to go where we please and to live free lives out from under tyranny. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for them? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, today I'm going to talk to you about the home. Most of you came from one today. And so I want to put a verse up. As a matter of fact, four verses. You're not going to believe what David the psalmist had to say about the home. We, we tend to think of David as, you know, the one who writes about praising God and warfare and that kind of thing. But David talked about the home. And I want to talk to you about your home's at- atmosphere today, your home's atmosphere. And so let's look at Psalms 101, starting at verse 1. David says, I will sing about your loving kindness and your justice, Lord. I will sing your praises. Verse 2, I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially where everybody in my own home. Now read the rest of that verse with me where I long to act as I should catch David's heart here. He said, I long to glorify God in my home. Now look at verse three. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. Verse four, I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. And all those verses we just read are within the context of the home. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for every home represented here, for we're only as strong as a church as our homes are. And Lord, I thank you for strengthening the home, blessing the home, sending your word to the home. Now, church, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me. Say, Lord, I'm asking you to bless my home to change the atmosphere of my home. Take it up a level. Lead us higher. And Lord, I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And can we just say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my home. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell him God's going to bless your home. God's going to bless your home. 
Well, it's so good to see you here today, and we have sewn 300 people into the 12 o'clock service. I'm glad to see this many on Memorial Day weekend in the 10:30 service, because uh, it's school's out. There goes some people. Memorial Day weekend, there goes more, and it's storming out. And so, give yourselves a hand that you showed up at church today. <laughs> yeah, Amen. And we're so thankful for the 12 o'clock service. It's done way better than I thought that it would initially. Now, I want you to notice how David's focus was on his home. Do you hear his heart here? Catch David's heart. It, it mattered to him how he behaved within, behind the four walls of his own home. It mattered to him. He wanted the atmosphere of his home to be godly to be peaceful, to be Christ-honoring, to be pleasing to the Lord, because clearly in these verses, he's turning his heart towards the home. He's praying over his home, not just his kingdom, but his home. Now, we see his resolve, and his resolve covered four areas. Watch this, his eyes. He said, I won't look at anything vile or vulgar in my home. His relationships. I will not entertain crooked people in my home. Did you catch that? His heart. I will walk in the integrity of my heart in the home and his mind. He said, I won't re- I reject perverse ideas. I'm not going to dwell on perverse, ungodly ideas in my home. So he covered his heart, his mind, his eyes, his relationships, all of those things he was concerned about within the framework and the context of his home. Now, you may be single today, but you've still got a home. Uh, Whether or not you're married with kids or you're just married and no kids or you're single, you still have a home and there's still an atmosphere in your home. Now, Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator who I love best, I, I read him all the time. Matthew Henry wrote, whenever a man has a house of his own, let him seek to have God to dwell with him. I'm going to read that again. Whenever a man has a house of his own, let him seek to have God to dwell with him. And those who do so may expect his presence. So he said, if you've got a home, you ought to aim for God dwelling with you in your home, God being there in your home. God being a part of your home. God being a welcome guest in your home. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to talk to you about that little thing called atmosphere. There's an atmosphere here today. It's an atmosphere of worship, an atmosphere of praise, an atmosphere of glorifying Christ. We're not spiritually dead. We're not God's frozen chosen. We are the living, breathing, on fire saints of God. There is life here. There is an atmosphere here. And one of the reasons you come to church, believe me, one of the reasons you choose a church is based on the atmosphere you felt when you visited. Every place people dwell, there's an atmosphere. In every nation, every city, every workplace, every home possesses an atmosphere that permeates that place because people live there. There's an atmosphere at your workplace. Some of you have to plead the blood, bind the devil, fast a day just to make it to your workplace because it's so oppressive. It's difficult. There's an atmosphere. But there's an atmosphere everywhere. There's an atmosphere in your home. Now, the the dictionary defines atmosphere as this. 
the pervading tone or mood of a place. Atmosphere is the pervading tone or mood of a place. What do you feel when you walk into somebody's home? What do you feel when you walk into a church? It's the pervading atmosphere or the mood of that place. We say, for instance, that that hotel is famous for its friendly, welcoming atmosphere. We say that kind of thing. Or how about this? The terror crisis in Manchester, London has further compounded the prevailing atmosphere of gloom. If you were to go to Manchester right now in England, you would feel an atmosphere of gloom because of what's happened there. Everything has an atmosphere. Your home has an atmosphere. And our focus is on the atmosphere of the home because, listen, God has a plan for your home. I shared with you last week that God's plan was a man would leave his father and his mother and would cleave to his wife. And the two would become one flesh. And once they become one flesh, God said, now be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth. So God's plan was for a man and a woman, Ish and Isha, as I shared last week, the Hebrew word for man, Ish, woman, Isha, to come together. And once that marital union has taken place, that children would come forth from that because God had a plan for the family that via the family, the whole earth would be influenced for righteousness because homes sent into the culture, children raised in godliness. That's God's plan. God had a plan. God's got a plan for your home. He's got a purpose for your home. He's got a design and a destiny for your home. Now, God's desire for our home in light of all that, believe me when I tell you, is that it would be a place of blessing, a place of, of his presence, a place of joy, that the atmosphere would be peaceful, that the atmosphere would feel like the Holy Spirit is present. As a matter of fact, what we experience in church today, let me give you a revelation, you, are, you can experience that at home. So, no, 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 at home... Jeff, we're not spiritual. We're, we're just ourselves. We come to church to be spiritual. Hey, do you realize that if this was happening, what we did today was happening in your home, you would come to church and it would spill over into church and we wouldn't need to sing three songs to get into the spirit. We'd already be in the spirit and the spirit would be flowing out of what happened in our home all week long. Every home has an atmosphere. A home can have an angry atmosphere. A tense atmosphere. You walk in, you just feel the tension. A sad or a happy atmosphere permeates homes. An oppressive atmosphere. You can even walk into some homes and there's a toxic atmosphere. It's it's toxic with anger and bitterness and uh, uh, arguing and tension and oppression. And I've got news for you that Jesus Christ hung on the cross to bring a blessing into your home. See, the fall of Adam and Eve brought a curse on the home, but the death and and resurrection of Christ released the blessing of God on the home because because Abraham was told through, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, families... The families that God said would be blessed through Abraham, God had in mind that through the Abrahamic lineage, Jesus would come. And through Jesus, all the families, all the homes of the earth would be blessed. It's the will of God that your home is blessed. Uh, That it not have that heavy, angry, 
tense atmosphere in it, but one of joy, one of peace, one of encouragement, one of godliness. That's God's plan for the home. He wants to bless your home. Can you say with me today, he wants to bless my home. Now turn to your neighbor and preach a little bit and tell them, God wants to bless your home. Seriously, he really does. Consider this, Jesus one day told his disciples that when they visited a home, because he sent the disciples not only to public forums, but to the homes of people. And he told his disciples that when they visited a home, he said, if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace from it. So according to Jesus Christ, that the home that received him and his words would experience an atmosphere of peace, but the home that rejected him would lose that same peace. So Jesus understood the power of atmosphere in a home. He said, I want you to have peace. And if you receive me and my words, it will bring a peaceful atmosphere to your home. But if you reject me, you open the door for the enemy to attack your home and you lose peace. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want the peace of God, the blessing of God, the presence of God, the joy of the Lord to be in my home. Now, what a lot of Christians don't understand is that getting saved is just the beginning of changing the atmosphere of your home. We must, once we're saved, we must learn to practice those things that bring a peaceful, godly atmosphere into our home. You can be as saved as the day is long, but if you don't know how to bring the atmosphere of God into your home, then you're going to miss something because there is wisdom, knowledge, and understanding regarding bringing the peace and the atmosphere of God into your home. We know, for instance, from the teaching of Jesus, that Satan looks for empty places to occupy. Now, listen carefully to this. I'm going to show you truth about spiritual warfare. Watch this. Jesus said, this evil nation, talking about Israel, is like a man possessed by a demon. For if the demon leaves, it goes into the deserts for a while, seeking rest, but finding none. Then the demon says, I will return to the man I came from. So it returns and finds the man's heart. Now watch the condition of the heart. Look at it. Everybody say clean, but empty. Now notice the house had been cleaned just like somebody forgiven of sin has been cleansed by the blood. But Jesus also points out that the house now is empty. And look what happens. Then the demon finds seven other spirits more evil than itself and all enter the man and live in him. And so he is worse off than before. Now the man in Jesus' story has been delivered and he's been cleansed, but he has not filled the emptiness with something else. And in this case, it's God. He has been cleansed, but he has not practiced the presence of God. Now here's how this applies. Let me bring it right down to you. Let's just say you lay down a drug habit. You say, God's told me, uh, clearly I'm to, I'm to get rid of drugs, drugs out of my life. As soon as you're saved, God says, get rid of that. That's what you're repenting of. That's one of the things. So you lay down a habit of drugs. But then, folks, we need to pick up a new habit of Bible study and prayer to fill the vacuum. Come on. You can't just, you can't just leave something and stand there empty. 
If you walk away, here's another example. If you walk away from old destructive relationships, then God's going to lead you to replace them with new godly relationships. See, here's the thing about God. Our God never calls us out of something, but what he's got something to call us into. He calls us out to call us Ona. Hi, Ona. I just had a moment. He calls us out to call us in. Everybody say, he called me out to call me in. He never calls you out of a thing, but what he's got something in mind for you to take you into. He called Israel out of Egypt so he could carry them into the promised land. He said, I'm going to take you out so that I can take you in. I'm going to take you out of a curse and bring you into a blessing. I'm going to take you out of death and bring you into life. I'm going to take you out of hell and I'm going to bring you into heaven. I'm going to take you out of blind and I'm going to bring you into sight. The Bible says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we lay down our sin so that we can pick up a brand new lifestyle of pursuing God. Now, here's my point. He never calls us out of something or asks us to lay something down to leave us standing there empty. That's what that, the mistake that man made. He was cleansed, but he did not practice the presence of God and the enemy got a foothold in his life. So in Jesus' story, Satan swooped in to capitalize on the emptiness of the house, though it was clean. Now here's the lesson for us when it has to do with our home. Once we're saved, we must learn how to ongoingly fill our hearts and lives with the word and the worship and fellowship and good works lest Satan take advantage of the emptiness with fresh temptations. That's why it says to the believer, you ought to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. It says, be being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that we are to graze every day in the word of God. We are not to allow an empty vacuum to remain in our life, but fill ourselves. And not only ourselves, but our home. Listen, home. Our homes are exactly the same way. They may be filled with saved people, but we've got to learn how to practice the presence of God in our homes, lest Satan come and steal the peace away and attack us. And listen, let me talk to you about spiritual warfare. You think the enemy is not trying to change the atmosphere of your home? Because he knows that atmosphere matters. He knows if it's a draining, trying, vexing atmosphere, you're going to walk out of your house every day, limping, dragging, beat down, depressed, discouraged. He also knows that if it is a joyful, loving, happy, God-filled home, you're going to walk out ready to take on the world and the devil all at once because the atmosphere of your home matters. A survey was taken of 286 students in a Christian high school. And this is what the survey revealed. 45% of 286 students, as good as half, said that they have experienced a presence seen or heard in their room that scared them. Now, I'm not sharing these things with you to freak you out. I want you to see that the enemy is out to change the atmosphere of your home. 
And sometimes you got to stand up and chase him out. Sometimes you got to stand up in the middle of your living room and say, that's it, and put your foot down and worship God until the spirit falls and the enemy is driven out. So a presence in their room that scared them. 59% said they harbored bad thoughts about God. 43% said they find it mentally hard to pray and read their Bible in their own home. 69% reported hearing voices in their head, like there was a subconscious voice talking to them. 22% said they frequently entertain thoughts of suicide. This is, this is teenagers in Christian homes whose parents have paid good money to put them in a Christian school, but this is the atmosphere they're encountering at home. This is the enemy attacking the atmosphere of their home. So when God created the home, he created it to be a place of encouragement, edification, and joy. A place we look look forward to returning to at the end of a hard day. A refuge from the storms of life is what our home should be. A filling station where our spirits are refueled with strength and hope. They are to be places of joy. They are to be places of encouragement and edification and exhortation and comfort. Not discouragement and not being beat down, but a place where Jesus is ministering to the members of that household. Through each other. Now, if ever there were Bible verses that tell us how to change the atmosphere. Now, I want to know, how many of you would like to change the atmosphere of your home? Even if it's a good atmosphere, how many of you can say, I know it can be better? Come on. Come on. You say, well, I don't know, Jeff, I'm single. Well, you need Jesus there if you're single too. So you might as well raise your hand. Now, if, if, if ever there were Bible verses about changing the atmosphere of your home, they are in Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Now, Paul wrote these at the church, but they are right for the home. So I'm going to deal with three things that will change the atmosphere of your home. How many of you are ready for that? Let me deal with them. First of all, we're going to see in Ephesians 4, 29, watch your words. Listen to verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good, helpful, and edifying so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. He's dealing with the words. Now, Paul is meddling, and I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you right up front, I've said wrong things many times in the home. I'm not pointing a finger at you saying, you need to get it together because I've got it all together and have had for many years. No, no, no. I've messed up with my words, and so have you. Remember, James said, if you're perfect with your words, you're a perfect man. And I don't think there's one perfect man or one perfect woman in this room. So let's just allow the word to talk to us today without feeling like, you know, we're being beat on or anything because that's not what it's for. I'm going to encourage you with this and I'm going to give you some wisdom with this. And it has spoken to me as well. Nothing sets the atmosphere of a home like the words we speak and the tone we speak them in. Because you ever notice you can say the right thing with the wrong tone. Matter of fact, some of you are pros at saying the right thing with the wrong tone. How you doing today, honey? Fine. Oh, I'm just doing fine. I love you, honey. I love you too. Tone. Do you know that attitude shows through tone? 
more than any other thing. You can say the right thing the wrong way. But here's the deal. If critical, harsh, angry words are being spoken in the home all the time, it creates an atmosphere. It creates an atmosphere of sorrow, of tension, and of resentment and discouragement because because your words set the atmosphere of the home. Now, I know this stings a little bit, but we need to hear this because there is power in what we say. Conversely, kind, encouraging, soft-spoken, loving words will totally change the atmosphere into one of blessing and of peace. It will. The, The words you say. There's nothing more powerful in the home than the words that are spoken in that home. They set the atmosphere. The Bible says death and life are in the power of your tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the biggest lie on the planet. Because words will hurt you more than sticks and stones. Sticks and stones will hurt you for a season, but the bruising will go away. But what is spoken over us via words can last a lifetime. You can destroy a person with words. Many a person's potential, future, self-esteem, ambition, confidence have been hindered or destroyed by words spoken to them in childhood. Did you know that research has shown that it takes five positive statements to to undo every one negative statement? If I say to you, well, you're kind of bumbling, I got to come up with five things good to say to undo what I just said. That's a lot of work. It's easier to just say something good right off the bat. With one negative thing, it takes five positive words to undo it. You change a person's life by the words you speak over them, especially a child. Let me give you an example. Words like, you're a loser. You don't ever do anything right. You're ugly. You sure didn't get blessed in the genetic department. You don't have any talent or ability. You really irritate me all the time. I can't wait for you to move. You're not lovable. You're not even likable. Do you know that those kind of words go into somebody's mind? Now, it doesn't have to be a child. It can be an adult. It can be a spouse. It can be a friend. Uh, it, It can be... Anybody and everybody, but words like that go in like a seed that is sown into their mind and it begins to work on them. And and the enemy's desire and the enemy's plan is that words like that will put a root down and will be believed by the person who hears them and that their self-esteem and confidence will be ripped down and destroyed for the rest of their days, That, that it will take away their potential in God. Words like these, though, conversely, make a person's future, can literally set a person on a path to be mighty and great for God. Listen to this. God has a great plan for you. You're talking to a child or to a spouse or to a friend. God's got a great plan for you. You are really good at that. I love you. I love you. You're so lovable. 
God has gifted you. You are so special to me. I can't imagine life without you. You have brought such favor and blessing into my life. Hey, really? Wow. These are words that bring life and that change the atmosphere of a home. Do you know that growing up, listen to this, when you are, let me start here. If somebody speaks negative over you, they tell you one of those negative things. They speak that word into you and it goes down into you like a seed. It affects your self-esteem. It affects your confidence. My observation of people is this. When somebody's got a really low self-esteem, they are wide open to more sin than the normal person and often to criminal activity because of the way they see themselves. Because of what was spoken over them. Growing up, I thought that I was stupid. I really did. I was surrounded by some people who said that to me. And so I began to believe that. And my self-esteem when I got saved was way down here. Not just stupid, but I, I, I was around some really bad so-called friends that spoke all kinds of negative things over me. And I began to believe them. And when I came to Jesus, I thought nothing of myself. I've been involved in criminal activity. I had gotten out of school. My, my, the way I saw myself was affecting my whole life. But what did it was things that were spoken over me. But when I got saved, the Lord immediately began to send people into my life that spoke positive over me. And, and here's what it did. I'm standing there one day, and somebody says to me out of the blue, Jeff, you're a natural leader. I turn around, look who they were talking to. They, I said, me? They said, you're a natural leader. Don't you see that? Don't you the way, that, see people, uh, the way people respond to you? I said, I've never noticed any such thing. But it made me think, all right. Uh-huh. All right, I've got something going on here. And, and, and then one day... Somebody said to me, Jeff, you're really intelligent. And again, I looked behind me. And they said, no, you really are. And then they gave me an IQ test. And let me tell you, I was anything but stupid. And so, but God did this. God started bringing into my life. And then he brought a very special couple into my life. They said, Jeff, you're gifted. You can preach. God's got his hand on you. There's a real destiny for you. We're excited about you. And, and it picked me up. And I began to think, wow. See, everybody say there's power in what you speak over people. And so before long, I began to believe what I was hearing about myself. And I began to get excited about my future for the very first time in my life because God sent encouragers into my life who constantly encouraged me. And they were speaking the word of God over me and not the word of the enemy. So the first thing to change the atmosphere in your home is your words. Now, the second thing that Paul says, you're not going to believe this, but it's in the Bible. He said, quit being mean. Look at verse 31. He says, stop being mean, bad-tempered, and angry, quarreling, harsh words, and dislike of others should have no place in your lives, and that includes home. Now, that little phrase, bad-tempered, is talking about the person who walks around simmering with anger underneath. They're just angry all the time. They're angry at life, angry at the world. They may not say it. Matter of fact, they may be saying the right things, but you know that underneath they're angry. And that anger simmers in the home all the time. You walk into that home and it's just tense. It's tense because people in it are angry. And it's simmering. And then after the word or the phrase bad-tempered, 
He says anger. He says, don't be mean, bad-tempered, or angry. Now, that word angry is translated in the King James Version, wrath. And it's taken from the Greek word meaning explosions of anger that erupts suddenly. This is the time bomb type person who has a short trigger. They blow up suddenly in fits of rage. When this person comes home, all the pets run for cover. Proverbs 14, 17 says, a quick-tempered man does stupid things. Now, I know it says foolish up there, but another version says stupid, and I'm going to use that one. Because when you're angry, when you lose your temper, you do stupid things. How many of you know that's true? And and have you ever known somebody who says, well, the reason I'm angry all the time, I'm red-headed. Or I'm Irish. They say, I've got red hair. You know how red-haired people are. We get angry very easy. And you know what? That's baloney. Because we all have the same heart. You don't get to be angry because you're red-headed. I'm green-eyed. What does that allow me to do? Right? The bottom line is, if you've got a short fuse, you're going to do a lot of foolish things. And the Bible says that in the home, we need to get a handle on this. Will Rogers said, whenever you fly into a rage, you seldom make a safe landing. And that's true. Isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't say to this person, you need pills or counseling or therapy. You know what the Bible says? Stop it. Well, there's a novel thought. Now, the Bible's not going to tell me to stop it if I can't stop it. You say, but but Jeff, I can't. My anger is just out of sight. I cannot stop. When I get mad and I blow, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. We've all seen or been in situations where there's an argument going on and you're really, you, you have lost it. You're in a rage and words are flying and the volume is rising and you're in a terrible fight and the phone rings and you run over, hello. Oh, hello. It's good to talk. Yes, I'm doing just fine. Oh, we're doing wonderful. Yes. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. And you hang up. Now, where were we? Or you're on your way to church and everybody is at each other's throat and you're quarreling and the kids are bugging you and you're squabbling in the front seat and all, and you pull into the parking lot and you get out and that halo just drops right on you and you see the usher. Well, hello, brother. God is good all the time and all of the time God is good. And you stop. I am preaching it. Some of you are looking at me like, never me. So say with me, I can stop it. When I have to, I do stop it. The Bible's solution is simple. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Be continuously. Now, anger is a learned response. And if you learned that response, you can unlearn that response. The way to get out of it The way to learn a new way is be filled with the Holy Spirit and give God that anger problem because, see, that anger sets the atmosphere of a home. And you don't want yourself growing up in a home with that that atmosphere, and you don't want your kids growing up in a home of that atmosphere. Finally, an atmosphere of peace and joy comes when we practice kindness and forgiveness. Listen, instead of blowing your stack and being mean and being angry, 
Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, I know what he's done with me. How has Jesus treated you? When you mess up, he forgives you. He overlooks your faults. He loves you unconditionally. And he says, in the same way that he does that to you, you practice that towards others, kindness. Kindness simply means you're gentle, you're pleasant, you're not mean, you're not ornery, you're not always on edge. You're kind. You say things that edify and encourage. You're tender of heart. You're compassionate. You're understanding. You're sensitive to others. Treat people in the house the way you want to be treated. Say, well, why should I do that? They're not acting that way. Well, you'll find that if you act this way, you will change people in the house eventually. It will. Because all of you are are feeding this anger and resentment and the game playing that goes on in so many homes, you you, you just stop feeding it. And you say, I'm done acting this way. As for me, I'm going to act kind. I'm going to be giving. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to forgive instantly. I'm not going to hold people's mistakes and shortcomings and faults against them. I'm not going to bring up what they did three years ago and get historical because when you get historical, you get hysterical. I'm not at all saying you shouldn't be truthful or firm, that you should never correct or punish for things that are done wrong. But as a rule, you practice kindness. The Bible says in Proverbs 31 about the godly woman, she she lives according to the law. Look at that. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is a law of kindness. She has said, kindness for me is a law that I submit to. I'm going to be kind in my home. So I'm going to ask us to stand together today, can we? And I want you to say with me, let's just just do this together. Say with me, watch your words. Stop being mean and angry. Practice kindness and forgiveness. Those things right there, those things alone, will change the atmosphere. Change the atmosphere. And you know what? If you're like me, I need God's help to do it. I've always been transparent with you. And I'm sort of getting more transparent the older I get because I guess I feel like it doesn't matter that much anymore. But let me just tell you, there were times in my marriage with Kathy, and you know what? Without Kathy, there would be no church here. Because of Kathy, there's Turning Point Church. And that's the truth. And, um, but, well, there were times we had very hearty disagreements. Isn't that a good way to put it? How many of you have had a hearty disagreement lately? Now, I'm not calling it an argument, just a hearty disagreement. Now, here was the deal. I have an ability with words. I had an ability with words that Kathy didn't have, and I used that against her. When we would have a disagreement... I would go into my lawyer mode or my prosecutor mode, and I would defeat her verbally. And what I was doing is I was winning battles but losing the ultimate war. And one night we had a hearty disagreement. And I was on my way to go preach. Don't you know the Holy One 
I'm on my way to go preach. So I went out to the car, got in my car, pulled out of the driveway, peeled down the driveway after being Mr. Prosecutor. And I'm driving to this place where I'm going to preach, and God said to me, clear as a bell, you want to be anointed tonight? And I said, well, yeah, I want to be anointed tonight. He said, then you better stop and call her and get it right. And then I began to be prosecuted with him. But, but I was right and she was wrong. And he said to me, Jeff, you have a stronger way with words than she does. You're not fair. You're not being fair because you can beat her and you can win. And you're really not winning, Jeff. So stop it. He didn't say go get a pill. He didn't say go take a drink. He didn't say go into therapy. He just said stop it. That's why I don't counsel much. Because if I counsel somebody, I'm going to say admit it and quit it. You know, I, just admit it and quit it. I, I don't. So anyway, now this is really going back because there were no cell phones. I had to pull into a place and use a payphone. So I put a quarter in, and here's what she did. She didn't even say hello. It rang. She picks it up. Well, it's about time. And I said, Kathy, I was so wrong. I'm sorry with the way that I beat on you verbally. And she said, I'm sorry too. And that night I was anointed squared. But here's the deal. Some of you have a strength in your home that your spouse doesn't have. And you can use that strength against them. Don't. Don't be unfair. Some of you women, you can out-talk your man. He's just sort of, you know, what about them cowboys? And that's about all he's got to say. And, but you, you have a way with words. Do you know that you can beat him down and it's not fair? Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Father, we just thank you right now for helping us to change the atmosphere in our home. If you feel free to do it, would you just lift your hands up to the Lord Jesus? And say, Lord, I give you my home. I give you the atmosphere that prevails. Lord, it can always be better. I give you my words. I give you my anger. I give to you the spirit I walk in, in the home. Lord, help me to change me and thereby change the atmosphere. I just feel led to carry this a minute longer. Just say, Lord, I give you my frustration with the children, with my spouse, with the finances, with my job. Help me, Lord to walk in the peace of God in my home. Change the atmosphere. In Jesus' name.